Hi there, skating fans. Welcome to another edition of the Skate Canada Alumni Podcast. On this month's blog, Debbie Wilkes welcomes Hall of Famer Anne Shaw. As a former international dance competitor, and now a retired official, Anne has lived every part of the skating world. From judging national, world, and Olympic events, to serving on the ISU Dance Committee, Anne's pedigree and contributions have helped promote and define our sport at home here in Canada and around the world. Let's join Anne as she shares some of her most memorable experiences. Welcome to the alumni blog. You are such a big part of this alumni program. You sit on the committee with uh, some of our other wonderful members. And uh, I thought it was really time that we needed to talk to you about your amazing career and the kind of contributions that you've brought to skating. So thanks for joining us today. Well, I'm happy to be on, you know, on the call, Debbie. I really have a great fondness for the alumni program that you're running, and uh, I think you and Selena have done a great job with it. Well, it takes a committee to make it all happen, so much appreciated. And you have, with your tremendous experience, you have this kind of calming overview that looks at the skating landscape, and I can think of a number of times where you've stopped us from... uh, flying off the edge of a precipice. So let's talk about how you got some of that wonderful perspective about skating and about the world. Tell us about how skating began for you. I started at the age of seven. I'd taken ballet when I was six, and I, a new skating club was being opened up in Toronto called Silver Blades. And my mother read about it and said, would you like to try that? And I said, yes. And we didn't have a lot of money in our family, but every year my mother would, my mom and dad would say, all right, what activity would you like to partake in this year? And I'd say, oh, skating, please. So uh, that would be it. I, I kept kept it up. Never wanted to get out after that. Do you remember what it was that attracted you at the beginning? Uh, I was so thrilled every day when I had only fallen three or four times. <laughs> Remember that, Tevi, your first I do. I do. It was a challenge to reduce the number of falls, I think. <laughs> um, and so, and I then think... I hung I to skate uh, to Silver Blades for some years, but then I joined University Skating Club, which was a very um, dance-intensive kind of club. And we used to have the most wonderful dance programs there. We'd, we'd have... Uh, all the dances we'd we'd skate on sessions on the weekends and on Thursday and Tuesday nights as well. It was a great, great club, but that's why I really honed in on ice dance. I did figures too, but I really loved ice dance, so that was my start. And I I just had uh, a memory that flashed through my brain. And do you remember a musician-conductor named Jack Jardine. Yes, Jack Jardine used to play at the Cricket Club, which was in those days the Toronto Skating Club. And yeah. um, 
skate to live music, whether it be a dance band. It would really essentially a dance band and skating to, uh, he'd keep a standard tempo, but boy, it was wonderful dancing to his music for dance sessions. I, re- I remember. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I participated in that too and saw it. Uh, probably my very first experience listening to live music and then to have it on the rink as part of a dance session. I remember being totally inspired by that. And I, I would have been just a, a wee one. I don't think I knew many dances, but I certainly was aware of the university club being a kind of dance central, if you like. There'd be um, huge numbers of dancers out, lots of men to skate with. I remember skating with someone called, an older gentleman called Max Gould, and he used to very kindly take me out through the dances, and I was I was getting better and learning more dances. And the funny thing was, I used to follow people to learn the steps. Like, you didn't have a lot of lessons in those days, although I did start taking from Jimmy Francis there, the coach there, the dance coach, who gave me a really wonderful grounding and precision footwork and so on and proper stroking. Gosh, I'll never forget those days. It was so much fun. I remember Max Gould, too. He was also a judge, if I recall correctly. Yes, he was. He was was a real mentor. Yes, yes, for sure. And I I think mentor, role model, um, helped us all understand the importance of dance and at that point I mean it wasn't was part of the world championships perhaps but not part of the Olympic Games not until 76 did it become part of Olympic Games so yes yes well the the metamorphosis I guess from learning to dance to becoming a national competitor Uh, describe that journey for yourself well, I guess uh, getting into, Jimmy Francis got me into the Granite Club when I was 14, and that made a huge difference in amount of ice time, and uh, he he was by that time teaching there as well, and um, so from that point on, I got much more involved, and I was, I had been skating with Carl Benzing, and, uh, but when I got to the Granite Club, I was still doing some skating. I, I had a, a year off in my grade 11 year because I became a high school cheerleader, which nobody is these days, but I, I was in those days, and it was sort of a big deal. So I didn't skate as much for that one year. But then in my grade 12 year, I teamed up with Eddie Collins, and uh, that's when I really uh, was working hard, and we went to Canadian championships and juniors and um, he was skating in singles as well, so it was very intense. And from then on, I, I was launched. But I guess I represented the Granite Club in those days in my competitive career. So I skated with Eddie um, for two years, three years actually, and then he turned pro went to Ice Follies. But we we, um, we did go on to Worlds together, and, uh, and then I skated with Gilles Vanesse in Worlds in 1960. Uh, 60, so yeah. which was in Vancouver, yeah. Yes. So, and, well, I and, to, sorry, well, I interrupted. No, I'm, I'm interrupting you. Um, it's, uh, it's a wonderful memory skating at Worlds in your home country. Do you have particularly outstanding moments 
about that experience? Not, you know, I was doing some interviews with alumni who had skated in those worlds, like, um, or in worlds at home, like Wendy Griner and you, Debbie, and a few others. And actually, most of them said it wasn't that different because you felt very comfortable, but um, it was sort of business as usual. We were trained to skate and compete, and uh, and in those days, we didn't have the huge television uh, coverage that we have today, so we, you know, you we didn't have the whole world watching you either. It was just a normal arena with maybe seating eight thousand people. So it was a bit different than than it subsequently became. Um, I think the pressure of skating at home would have been wonderful for our people had we been able to hold worlds this year in Montreal. It was so sad to have to cancel out on that one. Yeah, and I mean looking ahead at the what would have been the normal competitive schedule everything is delayed or off or cancelled uh yes unfortunate during this pandemic time to see not just for skating but so many other sports and activities that have been um have to reschedule or have a different look at things i'm not sure how it's going to affect skating here on it's sad to be at your prime in terms of you know your lifespan and um, possibly miss a little bit of that prime by being being off time a little bit with this it's, it's hard on everybody well and and thinking too about nobody's been able to train for a number of months what happens now as you go back to the rink and there are so many important guidelines that must be followed. Uh, how do you resume training? How how do you train when you don't know what your next event may be? Maybe it's as yeah. much as a year off. Who knows? Very strange. I do, feel, though, that, uh, do you remember, Debbie, you and I used to do this, but we used to essentially not skate year-round the way skaters skate today. That's um, right. Have, we'd have June off. We might. I didn't have May and September off because I used to go to Marg and Bruce Highland's dance school in the fall, fall and spring school. But um, but still, we had June off, and I remember the joy of getting back on the ice again, uh, the feeling of that flying feeling once you got back on. So maybe maybe um, a short period would be not so bad. It's this extended period that's going to be very hard. And I think uh, it's required our athletes to look at other ways of staying in shape. How do they keep their muscle tone? Uh, what 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 lies ahead? I guess is the big question for everyone. But I I agree with you. I used to take uh, both June and July off. My dad used to say it was those two months when I could be a kid. <laughs> But those times were very important. We didn't have the number of competitions that people have today, Debbie. There was no Grand Prix circuit, Junior Grand Prix circuit. uh, The only competitions I had would be, uh, and sectionals didn't even exist when I first started competing. They were just starting, and I didn't have to go in them because they didn't have them at the senior level, not enough competitors. So, uh, And there certainly was no divisionals or whatever we're calling divisionals these days. So I had um, Canadians and I had maybe North Americans, which was a competition that was held every other year in those days because we didn't have a world championship um, 
possibility always. Uh, I mean, we, we had worlds, but we didn't have other international competitions is what I'm really meaning um, to um, give us experience. So when we did go to these events, it was a big deal, really. Yeah, it sure was. And yet I think about how our athletes today are expected to perform uh, at their peak uh, for so many events throughout the year. So it's it's certainly uh, not difficult to understand why they feel training must continue throughout the entire year. But uh, it's a, a lot of stress, a lot of stress. We also didn't do as much off-ice training in those days, Debbie. Um, Correct. I barely warmed up before I got on the ice. My warm-up was the warm-up I got on the ice half the time. <laughs> the sports progressed a little bit since our time, Anne. <laughs> Incredible, yeah. yeah. Um, of course, you... I, school, I, was, I continued, you know, when I was competing in Worlds, in my first Worlds in 59 with Eddie Collins, I was in my grade 13 year. I'm taking a full caseload of eight subjects. And in my first year, uh, with my only year with Gilles and S, the next year in 60, I was at, in my first year of university. So I was, um, and I played on the um, Trinity College hockey team that year too until about two weeks before Worlds. And my mother said, you can't play hockey. If you get your face cut and you're going skating in Worlds in two weeks, that would be just terrible. You can't play for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> That's a great story. That's a great story. Well, after you retired, did was it a difficult decision to step away from competing? Uh, no. In, in the first place, Eddie turned pro in 59 um, and started to, he skated as a star with Ice Follies at that point. And so um, then Ray and Rosina Lockwood, later Rosina Watt, phoned me and said, would you like to skate with Gilles Vanessa? And so I ended up skating with him. And then Gilles turned pro. Um, we didn't have a lot of money to keep on forever in those days, and we didn't get a lot of money from, well, no money from Skate Canada. We paid our own way to events. Um, the Granite Club did subsidize us a little bit, but not much. So we couldn't, I couldn't compete as long. And so those, I just didn't, find an attraction to go to a nice show. I had an offer with Eddie to go into Follies, um, but I I was an academic. I was doing really well at school, high A's, and so I continued on with my um, my academic career, and uh, my father encouraged that, actually. He said, no, darling, I don't want you going in a nice show. I'd far rather you go to university, so mm-hmm. uh, that's what happened. And um, so I continued on, on that route. But I was judging figure skating all the while. So I still had figure skating in my life. It's just that it was in a different way than my two partners who were, you know, had the glamour of being in an ice show. Yeah. Um, and so I started judging when I was 16 um, and was doing, you know, all tests. By the time I was, well, our advancement was very fast in those days because I was a competitor. I was actually a gold judge made a gold judge as soon as, a gold dance judge as soon as I finished competing when I was, uh, I guess, 20. So uh, I was busy, and I was doing competitions. I did my first sectionals, and judge did in 1962. Wow. And did you you stick solely uh, solely to dance? 
Um, I initially was judging figures and dance and singles events too, um, but I, I, I was doing tests and one day I said to myself as I was judging figures, do you really like judging figures? I mean, we'd be standing out in the cold ice for hours on the ice and um, and I said to myself, no, I love judging dance. I just adored it, but I wasn't so keen on judging figures. I loved doing figures, but I didn't like judging it. So it was... Uh, Gradually, I, I just and didn't have time. I had kids by that time, and I was um, involved with so many things. So I, I gradually dropped the um, the other end of things, and that was a huge mistake in my life because initially I didn't get invited to many Canadian championships to judge because it was too expensive to send me if I could only do dance. And right. In those days, in those days, we only had you know reason and the compulsory dances and the free. We didn't have a third. Um, section with an original dance or anything. So uh, I, I advise young judges after me to not make that mistake, to be much more diversified and to judge both dance and singles and pairs because I, I had really scuppered myself for a while. I, my progress up the ladder was slowed by that. Did you ever consider going back to judging singles? No, no. I was I was writing manuals with... Joyce Heisey and for Barb Graham in the office in those for the office in those days the Skate Canada office then then it was called CFSA remember but um, yeah so I was I was I was immersed in in the other end of life and uh, I was quite happy to just do the dance uh, that's what I you know it was that was my my expertise and the thing I knew best so I felt most comfortable doing it anyway and your love it was your love it was my love yeah yes. Um, well, then, can you walk us through your climb up that ladder, uh, eventually becoming an Olympic judge, a representative on the ISU? Tell us about that well, story. I think the, um, the, the first, it's sort of hard to remember, it's a long time ago, but I think I, I got uh, my first international appointment. Um, I guess it was for an NEA Cup in in. in the Hague in 1976, um, and um, so you know I had to uh, had to apply to the ISU for promotions and so on. And I think I got my first international judging appointment in 1976, and I gradually worked my way up the ladder. So, uh, and then by 1984, I I was able to judge my first Olympics. So I gradually moved up to that. Um, and that Olympics was in Sarajevo, of course. So um, yes. it was quite a, an interesting experience. The old Yugoslavia, wonderful, wonderful time. And um, it was the year Torval and Dean skated Bolero. So I had the fun of giving them one of the first. Uh, well, that that row of six zeros that they were given was the first time they'd ever been, received a, you know, a line of a string of six zeros at the time. So it was exciting. And then um, I guess in 88 in Calgary, I ended up doing uh, Worlds again as a judge. Uh, and that's when Tracy and Rob were competing. And they came third that year, won a, a bronze medal. And uh, it was very At the Olympics, yes. At the Olympics, yeah. It was yeah. exciting to be the judge there. Oh, I anyway, can imagine. Well, uh, I, uh, gradually, I worked through, but I ended up <laughs> doing so many worlds and internationals and so on. My my next Olympics was, of course, 
2002 in Salt Lake City, but that's another story. I was assistant referee there, so so through the years, I, I gosh, I, I was sort of looking at it the other day, and I I think I probably did um, nine worlds maybe in that in the period leading up. But one other thing happened, and that was getting on that ISU Dance Technical Committee in um, 1992. I got a phone call. Uh, it was June, and I was in my living room and I got a phone call um, and it was from Doug Steele and he said I, I just wanted to tell you Anne that you've just been elected to the um, ISU Dance Technical Committee and I hadn't even known that I hadn't put my name in to do that or anything but it, it ha- so happened that Donald Gilchrist had stepped down on the ISU Council at that time and Joyce Heisey um, moved onto the Council and so they were at, at um, the ISU Congress that year and decided to put my name in for the Dance Technical Committee and I got elected but I wasn't even there. So <laughs> that started uh, a new stage in my life because I was um, for 14 years on that committee. So that was um, a huge involvement because it was a very busy involvement and it and eventually ended up meaning that I was um, if I didn't wasn't officiating at uh, Europeans or Junior Worlds or Worlds I was in attendance at those for meetings, so um, I was traveling to Europe or Asia seven to nine times a year for those 14 years, so it was a very busy time. I actually and had to stop, stop teaching to accommodate it, teaching high school. So, um, um, so anyway, it was a, a long, very involved career. And, of course, I, I also had been on the, um, in, in the administration of Skate Canada through all that, too, um, I was um, on the, the board for a long time, and I was vice president for six years at one point from 91 to 97. So I certainly had skating in my, my blood, and more than, more than that, I guess. And was Doug Steele, <clears throat> excuse me, at the time of uh, your first um, placement on the Dance Technical Committee, was Doug Steele the president of Skate Canada at that time? He was president of Skate Canada yeah. when he made phone call to me. So. That's a great story, too. Oh, my yeah, gosh. I think it's happened. Um, I think it's only happened one other time that someone was elected who wasn't there. It was crazy. So, well, I think that was pretty astute of the organization at that time, understanding uh, the importance and value of having a Canadian voice there. Um, and especially one with um, great experience and knowledge and integrity. It was very important, very important. What would you say, um, if you could look back on those years, what would you say would be your greatest accomplishment as a volunteer? Well, I guess uh, it it sort of ties in with Olympics and 2002 and the, the the scandal that developed there um, with Sally Pelche not winning their gold medal and then eventually being re- awarded the gold medal and that whole issue. And I was put on a, an ad hoc committee by Octavio Cinquanta at that point, the president. Who was, of the right. Yeah. yeah. The ad, ad hoc committee was the committee that created the new judging system. So I was um, I was asked to figure out how this they I was called into a meeting I was as I told you assistant referee at those Olympics really busy attending practices and things but 
I was called into this meeting, and uh, it was just a few of us, uh, uh, the rep from figure skating, who is uh, Lekernik, the Russian Alexander Lekernik, and um, another woman who was the synchro rep at the time, Marie Lundmark, and Ted Barton, because of the technical, we'd started to bring in video replay at events, and uh, it was chaired by Peter Crick. And we, we created the new judging system, um, and, but I was told, uh, I, they said one night, now we want you to figure out how it's going to work in ice dance. And so anyway, I was involved in creating the basic idea for that and then doing a lot of the training of the judges and the coaches and the skaters in terms of the system and, you know, technical controllers and so on after that for another five years. So that was, uh, I think that was the most interesting thing for me because it was um, using my math skills, my organizational skills, but also my teaching skills. I loved teaching seminars anyway. So um, in terms of implementing that new system, I think that was the, the thing that made me feel that um, it was the best thing because it was a much fairer system, especially in ice dance, really. I, I really think the new system has... Well, I'm not sure. We, we uh, Until 2010, we had no Olympic champions, um, gold gold dance winners until Tess and Scott won because it was so European-dominated prior to that. And uh, I think the new system being fair helped with, with that issue. Well, it was, yeah, that uh, the evolution of the new system was certainly, it certainly was like an earthquake in the skating world. Was there a lot of resistance or... Uh, although people knew it was important, what was the hardest part about getting that accepted within the skating world? I think um, it's still not accepted by everyone. I think because it it is a very complicated to explain, and I'm not sure we do a, a really terrific job in displaying all the the marks and so on that are involved in it. And I think it needs constant explanation. So the audience, I think, used to love um, booing the judges and knowing that the judge from Canada had given too high a mark or too low a mark to somebody and Russians had done the same. And uh, so I think there was some resistance from that point of view that it wasn't as user-friendly for the TV audiences and so on. But... Um, uh, aside from that, uh, it really passed at the Congress quite easily because I think everybody had been, um, there had been so much to do uh, after 2002 Salt Lake City in terms of um, feeling the system was not fair that most countries came along. There, there were a few that voted against it, but very few at the Congress when we finally put the uh, proposals in to have it go through. Well, I think certainly from my perspective, and I was uh part of the media at that point, my sense was that while it was uh, absolutely necessary, I think most of the skating uh, organizations realized that suddenly having gone through that incredible journey of Salt Lake City, that we recognized that the validity of our results was being questioned by the general public. And uh, while it's juicy to talk about, I think the skating world 
wanted some kind of movement that was going to indicate that we really value the best skater. And yeah. uh, that was a, a really a kind of a seismic shift, I guess, in many ways. Changed a judge's perspective because, for instance, in a dance event, you, you you now give out about fifteen marks as opposed to the two marks we used to have to incorporate everything in, in two marks that that is being incorporated by those fifteen marks today. You know, by the time you give a GOE for each element, and um, and you give your your five component marks, you've got quite a few, that marks that you hand out. Uh, and they're done instantaneously. The components are done at the end, but the the marks for the the GOE um, are given as as they happen. You don't second guess yourself, and it's over with. You don't have to add it up. Sometimes, as a judge, you have no idea actually who who you had first, second, or third, because you have no idea really how how your marks. You can't add up your marks as you're doing them that quickly. It's a very interesting difference. In the old days, we used to have to. We, we might have 24 competitors at Worlds, and we would uh, have to keep our our order sorted. We had to place people by using marks. Um, yeah. It was a completely different concept, and it was a real challenge. I used to love it. It was I used to regard it, I think all of us judges did, we, we regarded it as a challenge to get it mathematically correct. Not, not correct in the eyes of other people, but in our own eyes to think that we got the order right the way we felt people should, you know, the order people should be placed in. Uh, Yeah, I I appreciate that. One of the things uh, about the new system, I mean, it's not new anymore, but to to separate it, is that from my perspective, at least, it forced the skating world to actually identify what it considers superior skill. You know, what, what is a good Choctaw? What makes for good rhythm? Or why is that particular step sequence so important? What makes it brilliant? Uh, and I think that was a great thing. I don't think we'd ever done that before. Well, I think as a judge, I was trying to do that. I mean, I, I had in my head was, was analyzing and weighing and balancing all of those things, but I was quite an experienced judge who'd competed and, and been in the system for a long time. Um, but I, I'm not sure all judges did analyze to that degree, um, you know, I, 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 especially some of the European ones you know, who might not see as many good dancers. We used to have 8 to 16 senior dancers in the country, and when we judged the Canadians, Canadian judges were very experienced, and I'd say the same would be true of American judges, but some of the countries, uh, if they were judging a, a national championship, they might just have one couple, two couples, so they didn't have quite as much experience in that way. So I, I think it forced, forced people to... Um, analyze things to a far greater degree. And, of course, we put, we built in so many criteria. To, I mean, to give a, a component mark of, of 9.0, you know exactly what you mean by that because it's all demarcated by, the, you know, the, the criteria sheets that we get. You just don't give those easily. So, uh, yes, I agree with you, Debbie. It's, it's much more uh, much more spelled out. And uh, I I also think, and this is a problem, 
a small problem perhaps, but a problem in all of the disciplines. And that is that if you have not skated yourself as a judge at a fairly high level to be able to appreciate the feel of that quality step or element, uh, I think that that perhaps is still something that's um, unquantifiable, perhaps. But as a former a competitor, yeah, yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but it, yes, it did give me a lot of confidence knowing I had skated the dances. I'll tell you, the hardest ones for me to do were the dances I hadn't competed, like the tango sure. or the um, you know golden waltz, because I hadn't skated them. We had wonderful seminars on those so as Canadian judges. I remember Roy Bradshaw, for instance, or Bernie Ford. They used to at the we had a every year in June we had a dance uh, seminar for a whole week, and it was always usually in London at Western University. And we had all the top dancers, the top coaches, and the top judges there for a week of working on new systems. And I can remember um, working on the Tango Romatica. We'd do it on the ice. We'd do it on the floor, learning the steps, learning the positions, and so on. So it wasn't that we weren't trained, but I never felt as comfortable judging those dances as I did the ones that I'd skated, competed myself. Well, you know how when you see that edge, that special edge, and it has a certain lean to it, it sounds a certain way, uh, It you almost feel as you watch it, like you're skating it too. I, I just think that that is so valuable for a judge to be able to um, experience and feel what that would be like, to fully uh, appreciate the quality of something. Anyway. Yeah. I'm going on about that. Um, in in your uh, in your experience in this wonderful journey that you have been on, uh, outside of the judging system, outside of Salt Lake, have there been a few other either events or situations that stand out as uh, being something super special? Um, well, I, I, you know, as a judge, when you're the, the judge for a country and um, you're, you're, you see that someone from your country has made the podium, um, it's, that's always a thrill. Um, yeah. I would, I would also say that I used to love judging tests and seeing a little ankle biter who um, would be coming along, and you'd say, oh, that little one is going to be fantastic. Um, and just loving watching um, the possibilities that were inherent in somebody who really had it. You know, Debbie, there was always something called it. Um, so I, I guess um, the thrill for me, of course, was when, when I judged and Tracy and Rob, Tracy Wilkes and Rob McCall won their bronze medal um, at that Olympics in Sarajevo, but also, or at least in Calgary, but also um, I, I'll never forget sitting in the stands when Tessa and Scott won in Olympics in Vancouver. I, uh, Skate Canada sent me there as their advisor, and so I was sort of um, at all their practices and sort of on the phone with Mike Slip passing tips on from the, from the seats with them. But I'll never forget the electricity in the arena that night. They were the first uh, North Americans to win an Olympic 
gold medal in ice dance. And so it was a magical, magical thing the night they skated their free dance and won. But I'll never forget the sound in that arena of the the noise of them um, with the crowd. It was just ear-splitting. It was incredible when they came out to mount the podium. Debbie, you were probably there and remembered it. Yeah, yeah, I was one of the team leaders. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you judge them as youngsters? Oh, yes, I did. And I remember um, I, I was doing a, a film. It was the, it was the teaching um, tape that we created for the ISU that was um, the video on compulsory dances. And I was involved in all the filming along with and, and all of the um, work with Bernie Ford and uh, Bob Moyer, the, who used to work for CBC, but was helping us with, with creation, creating that video. It's still being used, that training video that we did in, I think it was 2002. But anyway, uh, we had to, we didn't have examples of, of the dances, the lower dances, like the Fiesta, uh, not the Fiesta, 14th Death and the European Waltz. So I took a camera with me to Kitchener, um, and set up a, a filming of a little couple called Virtue and Moyer. And they were about 11, 10 and 11 at the time. And um, they they demonstrated for that training video all of the um, the smaller dances, the Foxtrot, the 14-step, the, the, the European Waltz, and uh, on that video. And also did some demonstrations of steps that were new, like touchdown threes that we hadn't had in other dances and we needed to have examples. So I came home from that particular session with those kids and said to my husband, Bob, oh, they're going to be world champions someday. They are so wonderful. And, you know, it was so nice to see, watch them through their career and see them uh, really succeed as we all have enjoyed watching them. So that was fun. So they had it. They had it. Can you put that? What are what are words that you could try to define what this it might be? I think in ice dance, it's that feel for music, that feel for edge, that feel for style, line, presentation, um, and technique. They had wonderful technique, and yet. You know, they'd lay under the edges, and ice dance is essentially an, an edgy, a very edgy sport, far edgier than anything, I think. And uh, they were, they had all of that at that point, but that extra special feel for dancing. Well, you know, you can, you can be a technician, you can do things perfectly, but you have to sell it to the people watching, and you know, they have to say, ah, yes. How would you describe it when you're looking at pair skaters? What's it for you, Debbie? It's same kind of thing, that that marriage of movement to music, the skaters believing it and selling it, to use your word, but also that incredible appreciation for uh, technique and style. And um, I, I often think about great performances as being like a, a tremendous composition of music, a symphony where all the parts, all the instruments are heading in exactly the same direction. And Speaking of exactly the same direction, Debbie, and we, I neglected one of the most important things, and that is unison, oneness. 
Yeah. Especially in ice dance, but also in pairs, right? I mean, you have, it's so essential. Yeah, and you you may, yes, and you may not be doing exactly the same thing, like in pair skating, they may not be doing the same steps, but it must, they must be a reflection of one another, I think. It's an integral whole. Yes, yes, it's a beautiful thing to watch when it happens. And you don't know why you were overcome with a performance. You maybe can't detail it, but you certainly know something magical has happened. Now, I think one of the aspects of that magic is when it is so well done that you're not aware that you've watched anything. Like um, Tessa and Scott used to change holes, positions, and and things, and it would just be absolutely seamless. There was never a sense of struggle. There was never a sense of um, attempting to do something. It was always there. Effortless. Um, effortless. It, 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 yeah. So it's just it's just there, and um, it's it's wonderful. How do you see dance for the future? What can we look for? Oh, um, sometimes I think we're verging a little too much on the use of music that's not so dancey. Mm-hmm. Um, I worry about separating pairs from ice dance always. I think um, we, 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 we should keep the two divided. And sometimes I find pair skaters these days are using music that to me is much dancier than dance, dancers are. Yeah. Um, I, I, I still... And I, I, we've, it's very hard to explain this, and I've tried. I remember arguing with people, but um, there is, there is, dance in some ways still has some aspect of ballroom roots, I think, and um, rhythms and so on. We keep that going in the short, um, but but I also think we we can't let things become too elongated, and um, some of the programs can be boring if they're you know. Really great dancers can skate to anything and make it look wonderful. But lesser skaters can't skate to some of those pieces of music that require elongated line and style and that they don't have. And then, so then those programs can become boring to the audience. So too many programs out there, like that one after the other after the other, where things are a little too classical maybe and um, you just don't, the audience doesn't enjoy them. So I, I just would always like to see that the Dance Technical Committee would always rein in um, that that trend. Not that they can stop it, not that you want to stop it, you still want variety, but I think you need to still keep it in the realm of, of dance. Um, Ballroom. Not explaining yeah. myself very well, am I? But, oh, I think it's, I think it's perfect uh, because there is such a... a a different, oh, I don't even know what the word is, dance and pair skating, while they may share similarities, they are very distinct in their skills and presentation. And while I, I, I think that pair skaters could learn a lot from dancers, and perhaps the same is true uh, in the other direction, um, but I, I agree with you. I certainly don't want to see the two disciplines merge. I used to laugh and say, um, "Let's give the pairs the air, and we'll take we'll take the ice." And and I sort of <laughs> want to see that 
moving in some of these low moves that uh, I guess Barn and Kratz really um, started, you know, um, closer to the ice, and um, it, it's fun to see it going in that direction, but, but uh, that's why I guess we always had those rules about don't put your, you know, man can't put his hand hands higher than his head in a lift, and so I'm trying to separate the two disciplines. Yeah. Um, that's why those rules exist, I think, just to do that. Well, yeah, and to be able to effectively compare dancer to dancer. Uh, I think that's important. Um, Before we we, uh, wind up today, and I'd love to talk about you being presented with this special award by the ISU. Um, Will you tell us about it and, of course, your reaction to it? Oh, (laughs) Um, I guess, uh, gosh, that was it. I guess I got that award. the Medal of Merit um, at, at a Worlds in 2009. I was refereeing there, and uh, there was a luncheon, and I was awarded this um, Order of Merit, and that was terrific. So, But the other award, of course, that was even more wonderful for me was being inducted into the Skate Canada Hall of Fame, uh, too. So that was done um, in Kingston in, I guess, 2008. And uh, that was a real thrill for me too. So uh, um, it's nice to to know that your what was my volunteer and career um, was was appreciated by by Skate Canada and also by the ISU. I, I did get that recognition of that. And of course, the ISU. I, I guess they they've made me an honorary member now too. So I get to go. I was supposed to go to Worlds this year to as their guest um, gets me, keeps me still seeing things. And the same with being a, a Hall of Famer. As you know, we, we are very um, kindly invited to the big competitions, invited to be there with a ticket, not that they pay our way, but they do give us a ticket and so on. It's it's wonderful, isn't it, Debbie, too? Yeah, it, it is. It, it is very special, that's for sure. I'm sure you um, uh, appreciate being in the Hall of Fame as well. Oh, there is no question. It's uh, an honor to still be uh, part of the skating family and uh, obviously to continue looking at how we can contribute. It may be very different. uh, And I I always look forward to what the next exciting challenge might be. And like you, offer support to the sport in any way possible. And uh, your alumni committee is doing a good job keeping us all together and bringing us back together, too, and meeting old friends that, whom we haven't seen in years. It's terrific. It is. It's very exciting. We all share such common bonds, uh, many common experiences, and uh, I think recognize, if we're fortunate enough to to have found the skating experience a positive one, uh, it helps us, I think, carry the legacy forward and um, hopefully provide some inspiration for those that are coming along, be they skaters, competitors, uh, club members, volunteers, officials, coaches. I mean, it's a big family and a wonderful family. I agree thoroughly. Well, and thank you so much. We'll let you go back to your cottage time. Today. I'm going to play tennis in um, about five minutes. 
Perfect. <laughs> I hope it's a good game. Thanks, Anne. We'll... An 80-year-old tennis player. Can you imagine? <laughs> I think it's fantastic. That's wonderful. Thanks so much, Anne. Oh, and, and uh, let's hope Skate Canada comes through this uh, with flying colors. It's a tough time, and uh, we're, we're praying that all will go well. I'm sure they will. Thanks again. Okay, bye, Debbie. Bye, Anne. For skating lifers like Anne Shaw, passion for the sport never wavers. Anne's commitment and vision continue to inspire and challenge how to help the sport along its evolution, with an eye to consistently making it better. We hope you enjoyed Anne's time with us here on the Alumni Podcast. If you'd like to receive our future episodes with other famed alumni, don't forget to subscribe. The Skate Canada Alumni Podcast can be added to your podcast list in iTunes, through Google Podcasts, and through many other podcasting apps available for your devices. We release an episode every month. You can visit us online at alumni.skatecanada.ca where we post a number of blogs alongside the podcast, and we hope you can join us again. For the Alumni Blog, I'm Alex Kilby. See you next time.